Okay, so this week we're going to learn this most amazing Purim talk that the Rebbe spoke at a Fabrengen. It's, it's recorded as one of the most memorable Purim Fabrengens. So you can only imagine a little bit what that means. I found online that there are 11 diaries that have been published from different people that wrote a diary after that Fabrengen of different interesting things that happened. The Fabrengen was not a short Fabrengen. It began at 8.30 p.m. and it went until 3.30 in the morning. So hundreds of people, if not thousands of people, were at this Fabrengen, Purim Fabrengen with the Rebbe. This is in 1966. And this Fabrengen goes for seven hours from beginning to end. And it continues for another hour, which I'm going to tell you in a moment why. So a lot of people remember this Fabrengen with a statement that the Rebbe said at this Fabrengen, Kol haposhet yad Whoever will stretch out their arm, their hand, you have to give them. So it refers to that on Purim there's a special time to give tzedakah to whoever stretches out their hand, never turn out anybody on Purim for tzedakah. But the Rebbe was giving out l'chaim. And he said, whoever is going to ask for l'chaim, I'm going to give you a pour you a l'chaim. So the entire room jumped up and started pushing and it was chaos for a long time. He was giving everybody some l'chaim and they kept on bringing more bottles and filling the Rebbe's cup up. He would have his Kiddush cup and they kept on refilling it. You know, each cup he could probably pour out, I don't know, maybe six to eight people. Everybody gets a little bit. And like this, the entire 770 got uh, got some of this l'chaim. Now when the Rebbe gave out l'chaim at that Fabrengen, it continued after the Fabrengen, after everybody got, so he makes the blessings and he exits the shul of 770 and he comes outside of 770 and more people started coming from all over the place. Everybody's waking up from all over New York, a special opportunity to get L'chaim from the Rebbe and he's giving out more outside and people are pushing and pushing to get some L'chaim and they were pushing. The Rebbe came outside. It was a weekday from Rangenpurim. So he came outside to get to the car and the driver is going to drive him home from the car, you know, a couple blocks away to his home. And this is already 3.45, 4 o'clock in the morning, 4.15, and he's pouring L'chaim, and it's going on 4.25 in the morning. And from all the pushing right next to the car, all the the uh, the doors, the car literally started moving out of shape, and the roof of the car collapsed in. So there was no way to move with this car to go home. So luckily, another chassid, had a car available right there. It happens to be this uh, is a great uncle of mine. His name was Ramardachai Rifkin. So it is in these diaries. And the Rebbe goes into his car at 4.30. So that's eight hours after the Fabrengen started to go home to get to his house. When he comes to his house, there are more people that are lined up by his house that still didn't get some L'chaim. And the Rebbe gave and gave to everybody until everybody got. And then there was singing outside and people were making summer sauce. So this is the extent of the, the outer of the Fabrengen. In the Fabrengen itself, the Rebbe was in the middle of the Fabrengen. He said that there's a special custom of Adla Yada. You're supposed to drink on Purim to get to the point that you don't know the difference of blessed be 
Mordechai and cursed be Haman, right? That's how you're supposed to, as the Rebbe said, at least somebody in the crowd should represent the entire crowd and get to that level. So there was a chassid there, his name was Reb Zalman Duchman, and he started drinking a few cups of l'chaims there, and he was singing, and it, it got really uh, exciting there in shul. And at one point, the Rebbe said, you'll see that if you touch his tie, he'll all of a sudden, he'll know what's going on. You know, like the tie is so important, you know. And it, it became just amazing. In the middle of the ringing, the guy, he fell asleep, and this is what happened. But in addition to all the excitement of it, there's also tremendous amount of Torah that the Rebbe taught at this Fabrengen. It's a very unusual Fabrengen to the point that there are four published Sichas, like we learn one a week. There are four Muga edited Sichas that came out from that Fabrengen, including there's also a, a, a Mimer that the Rebbe said, where the Rebbe says that with his eyes closed and everybody stands. So very heavy, uh, exciting Fabrengen. We're going to learn today Asicha, which is one of the famous Torah teachings that the Rebbe taught at this Fabrengen, and it's well known for its contents that we're going to soon see, and this kind of was the opening of this seven-hour Fabrengen, was this talk about, what we're going to talk about, of what gave Mordechai the wisdom and the strength to know from before the anything is really going to happen that he knows we're going to win this war against Haman. And this is the following insight. It says in the Medrash that after the decree was sealed um, for Haman, the letters that were sealed and stamped that Haman has the rights in his decree that everything is given over to the hands of Haman and he will have the ability with him and his cronies with his group, they'll be able to go out and finish up and do whatever they want to do to Mordechai. So after this was already sealed, the decree was already, you know, set in motion, Mordechai at that time, he saw three children coming out of their Jewish day school called a base sefer, the place where you learn the Torah books. So Mordechai sees three kids coming out and he chased after these kids and Haman with his group chased after Mordechai also to listen what is Mordechai interested in these kids? Like what does he want to get out of these Jewish kids coming out of day school? Out of a Torah, out of a yeshiva, a cheder. When Mordechai reached to these kids he asked one of them, he said, Tell me your verse. In other words, it was common that when you went to school, you go to Cheder, so you learn every day a verse, and that verse becomes your verse. You become like, you know, one with it. You, you have like a quote to live with. So he says, tell me your verse. So the kid says, and this is a well-known verse. Many of you may know these, this, this, these verses. But I'm going to point it out so you could remember it and digest it and constantly make reference to it until it becomes one with us. The kid, one kid, the first kid said, when he asked him, what's your verse? The kid said, Altira mipachad pisom. Umishayas rishayim kisavo. These are going to be three different kids that are going to answer three different verses. We say it every day. 
the Sfard Siddurs, Chabad Siddur, and many other Siddurim have it. After Aleinu, in your daily davenings, three times a day after your Aleinu prayer. So at the end of Aleinu, there's a mourner's Kaddish, and then you say three verses. These are the following three verses. The first is Altira Mipachad Pisa, which means God instructs us. This comes from a verse in the book of Proverbs in Mishle. Altira, do not be afraid. Mipachad Pisa from sudden fright. When a sudden fright, terrible thing happens, suddenly, don't be afraid of it. Umishayas Rishayim Kisavai, and from destruction, from Holocaust, that comes from the wicked, Altira, do not be afraid. So that is the first verse. This kid answers, what did I learn? What's my verse? Do not be afraid. Don't fear sudden fright or the, and destruction from the wicked. Then, the second child answers to Mordechai. And remember, Haman and his cronies are standing around listening. And the second kid says, I read, I studied today. I studied today, you know, in Cheder. And this is the verse that I stand with. And the kid says, Utsu Visufar Dabru Davar Vilayakum Ki Imanu El. Utsu Visufar means you could plan a conspiracy. Utsu Eitzah, you could prepare an Eitzah, you know, a conspiracy. Visufar, but it will be foiled. You could plan all you want against the Jews. But the verse in Isaiah says, this, this verse is from Isaiah, from Yeshaya, and it says, you could plan all you want, Utsu Eitzah, but Visufar, it will be foiled. Dabru Davar. You could speak your piece, your plot, whatever you want. But it will not materialize. Why could you plan your plans and they'll be foiled and speak your plot, but it will be, it will not be materialized? Why? Key, the reason is, key, Emmanuel, because God is with us. And then the third kid says, opens his mouth and says, Ve'adzikna anihu, another verse from Isaiah, he says, to your old age, I am with you. God says, it's a clear verse, the kids are living with these verses, that God says, Ve'adzikna anihu, to your old age, anihu, I am with you. Ve'adzeva ani espel, and to your hoary years, which is very old age. Ani espoil, I will sustain you. That's what Hashem says. To your old age, I am with you. To your hoary years, I will sustain you. I'll carry you. And then the verse concludes. Ani Asisi, Hashem says. I made you. 
I made you. You're not made by anybody else. I'm the one that made you. Vaniessa, I will carry you. I made you. I can carry you. Vani Esbel, I will sustain you. Vamalit, and I will deliver you. And you'll be okay. So these are the three verses that the three kids answers to Mordechai. And Haman is listening in. When now, when Mordechai heard the answer of these verses, he laughed and he got so simcha gedayla, so joyful. And Haman says to Mordechai, what is this joy that you have now to what these kids answered? Mordechai said, well, it was the great good news, the Besuros Tovos, that they gave me this great comforting news that I have nothing to be afraid of, of your plots and your conspiracies and your plans that you have against me. Well, when Haman heard that, that these kids gave Mordechai the excitement of joy that he has nothing to worry about of my decree on him, Miyad right away, Kos Haman a Russia, he got super angry, the wicked Haman, and he said, I am not going to put my hands on you first, I'm going to first put my hands on these kids, and then I'll get you too. That's what he said. This is what the Medrash tells us. Now we all live in a time, we know the end of the story of course, right, that the decree was turned around on Haman and his kids and everybody else that tried to kill them. And every single anti-Semite of his time all died. And we, right? we know that part of the story. But now we're going to try to figure out exactly what happened here. The simple reason why Mordechai got excited about this news that he heard from these kids, that they announced these verses, is because Mordechai saw a certain prophecy when he heard these words from the kids. In other words, when the kids, they're so pure. Kids talk, they don't even have sin. They're under bar, 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 bat mitzvah. So when they speak, it's, it's so pure. Listen carefully to what they said. So he saw it like a prophecy. He was wanted to understand. He wanted to hear like from God, you know, what's going to be. And he heard it through the kids. Because they declared these verses that there's nothing to be afraid of and that their plots will be foiled and that even in your old age, God says, I'm with you. So he feels like I, he had this prophecy. That's why he was so joyful. As we find many places throughout the Talmud, the idea when you say, tell me your verse. This verse of a young child is like a prophecy from above. That's why you like to hear what does a kid have to say? What did they learn Torah-wise? What do they have in them? What are they living with? And then you could take clues from that. However, what's difficult in the story that needs clarification is, in our case, is that if this is the point of the story, that Mordechai got a prophecy. He heard a vision like coming out of these kids that were coming out of their Torah school. And there were three kids that said this verse. The question is, 
Why do we have to know the details that these kids were coming out of school? You see, a lot of times when we learn, the Rebbe always picks up on the details of stories. When they come from reliable places like the Medrash or the Talmud, the Mishnah, he wants to understand all the details. They must be telling you something. Nothing in the Torah is extra. So if the idea was that they said these verses and that gave him comfort, why do I have to know the details that this happened when they were leaving school and he saw them as they left school? Why is that relevant? It could have just been, I see three kids in the street, they told me their verse, and that gave him the answer. What's the relevance of knowing this details that they were coming out of school? Other details of the story, that he met the children And the fact that there was more than one child that said the verse of good news, that stresses more the lesson and the the message of this prophecy. But it doesn't help me with the fact that they came out of school and that the fact that he met specifically three kids. How does the three kids and the three verses help me that much more? Why can't one verse do the job? Don't be afraid. He iterates it with three different verses. So we have to understand these points of the story. Now, as we learned many times, and the Rebbe points it out here again, that everything in the Torah is perfectly precise. That means that even the order and the details in their wording of this conversations of the story is also precise. And therefore, he asks now three questions about the preciseness of some of the more details there. The order in the verses that the three kids said, first they said, don't be afraid of sudden terror. Then they said, even if you prepare your plots, they will be foiled. Then it said, even when you get old, I, I, may, I sustain you, I made you. Seemingly, if you, if you look at these three verses, okay, there are three verses, but when you get into the details and you look where are these verses quoted from, we have a question. We know that the Torah is written as the Tanakh. Torah is the first five books. Then you have the books of the Nevi'im. Then you have the books of the writings, the Ksuvim. Now, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is in the book, is, the, is in the section of the writings. The second and the third verse is from the book of Isaiah, which is in the book of Prophets. So in the order... The first verse belongs to the third section of the Torah. The second and the third verse is from the book of Isaiah, which is in the second section of the Torah. So why do we put the order of these three kids? First, the kid that said a verse from the book of Proverbs, and then the book of Isaiah, but the book of Proverbs comes after Isaiah. Isaiah comes first. Those verses should have been mentioned first. So we're soon going to see that even the order, even though it seems like it's backwards, the order, it would have made sense. And even if you're going to go backwards, by the way, the book of Proverbs is at the end. So let's say we're mentioning the end first. But then in the book of Isaiah, you go in order first, an earlier verse, and then a later verse. If you're going backwards, you should have mentioned this, the later verse in Isaiah and then the first verse in Isaiah. So again, you're not going in a consistency here. So why is the order of these three verses? Number two, Regarding the first child, the Medrash says that he right away said, without any introduction, Marduch, I said, tell me your verse. And he said his verse. 
But by the second child, there's a small introduction. The second child said, I read today, and with this following verse is what I stand with. In other words, what I live with. Why, why, why do we have that introduction by the second kid? Did the first kid not learn anything else that day? Only that one verse? The second kid says, I learned many verses, but this is the coming one that I really stick with, you know? But the first kid only learned one verse, so we have to understand that. Why is the second kid making this introduction that I learned many verses today, but this one stands with me? And the third question is, since Mordechai understood and he accepted the fact that this was a message like a prophecy, so why did he say that I'm so happy he answered to Haman for the good tidings on the Besuros Tovos, on the good tidings that I just got. He should have said, I'm so excited for the prophetic good news that came to me. So these are our questions. So in summary, we have really like four questions. The first thing is, the first thing is, is that why That that we that, that when Mordecai said this uh, this idea, so we say that that we said so many details in the story. Why did we have to know that they left Cheder? That they said this on the way home from school. Then he asked three questions on the on the details of stuff. Why do we go not in order of the Tanakh when you quote the three verses? First you say a book from the from, from the Ksuvim. Then we go to the book of Isaiah, which is before the book of Proverbs of Mishlei. Then he wanted to know why the first kid just said a verse and the second kid made an introduction that I learned other verses, but this is the one that I stick with. And then he had the third question of why did Mordechai say that I got this as good news? He should have said, I got this as a a news of prophecy. Now the Rebbe asks another question. That is something that needs uh, uh, clarity here. The Medrash makes it clear that when did this story happen? Right after the decree was sealed and stamped that the message could go out to the whole country of his decree to kill Mordechai. And even then, Mordechai was very joyful from the good news that he got. And therefore, he had nothing to be afraid of the bad decree that Haman put up front. If so, why did Mordechai, after this, put on sackcloths and he started to scream in the streets and cry with bitterness of the plot that was befalling him and Jews? And we have many details. What Mordechai did and told to Esther what to do. As we know in the Megillah, all the stories to go to the king and so on. It seems clear from this that Mordechai, even though he got the good news, he did not really accept it as good news. It's hard to understand. If you got the good news and you felt confident that Haman's plot is going to be nullified, so why did he have to go back into sackcloths and start crying? He knew the result. So something is not understood. And if he didn't accept the result, to why was he so happy? 
So in other words, the whole story needs clarification what happens here. He's happy what he hears. He knows that the thing will be nullified. But then all of a sudden, he's back. He's in sackcloths and crying. So if you know something's good, why are you crying? Now, the Rebbe gives us to explain a little bit. He says, you have to understand, why was there a decree? Why in the first place was there a decree, as the verse says, lahashmid, to wipe out, destroy, to kill all the Jews from Nar, from the youth, from the little kids till the elderly, children, and women, basically everybody. Why was there a discree? So, we know what it says in the Megillah, and based also on all the commentaries from the sages, the Talmud, and all over the place. In the Megillah it says that the whole story started because Haman was in the palace. All the servants of the king were bowing to him, to Haman, because Haman became the big, big shot in the king's palace. So everybody was bowing to Haman. But Mordechai would not bow. That caused anger to Haman. And then Haman disdained himself from putting his eyes and his hand to only kill Mordechai. And he said, I'm not going to only kill Mordechai. You know why? Because I heard that the entire Mordechai nation, everybody that's part of the Am Mordechai, like today you call it Am Yisrael, right? They called it Am Mordechai. Everybody that was part of Mordechai's nation also wouldn't bow down to Haman. So therefore Haman requested to wipe out everybody whoever is part of Am Mordechai. Not just Mordechai himself. Everybody that's part of him, I'm ready to go kill them all. That's how it happened. That's basically the story of what the Megillah tells us. What happened? That means... When Haman started to investigate why Mordechai won't bow to him, and he found out that it's not because Mordechai is some, you know, single stubborn person as an individual, because he's the head of the Sanhedrin, the big courts, and he's the leader of the Jews. But he found out that this is actually a conduct that he told everybody that's part of the nation of Mordechai, and that they are Yehudim, they are the Jews. That's where the name Jews, by the way, started in the time of the poor story of Purim. They called us the Yehudis, those that won't bow. And that's because a Jew believes only in one God. And therefore, we deny any other kinds of, and all kinds of idol worship. Anything that's in existence, we deny it. And this made Haman become so angry, as the verse says in the Megillah, He came out filled with anger. And since Mordechai did not want to bow down, it was because he was a Jew, who Yehudi. And therefore, Haman said, that I'm going to disdain myself from only putting my hands on him, and I'm going to put my hands on everybody. Because the reason why Mordechai is not bowing is the fundamental point of Judaism, which is something that's relevant to all Jews, from the young to the old, from the boys to the girls. That means not just Mordechai. The entire nation of Mordechai recognizes that 
there's no existence of a Haman. And certainly not about him. So therefore, he was looking for ways to wipe out everybody. So this is first point to remember that the fundamental thing of why he wanted to kill everybody is because we were all in this together. All Jews believe together that we have to believe in one God and not in a Haman. Nothing else is in existence of real sustenance to you. If so, how did it really happen? How did it happen that Haman was able to make such a decree on the Jews. We understand why he couldn't finish his decree. But how did it happen that he was able to even pass, pass, you know, in the, uh, in the higher places of the palace? How did he even get to make it that there should be a successful decree? How did that happen? So our sages tell us at least the spiritual reason of what happened that Haman got such a power in other words, how did evil become so strong to be able to have this decree? So the sages teach us, it's in the Talmud and Megillah, it says there that it was because the Jews were there were the Jews were bowing down to images. Now images is like a step before real idol worship, but they're images of idols. Now, since by a Jew, it's true, many Jews were doing this without their full heart in it. They were just doing it external to get people off their back. So they were bowing to these images. But bowing to an image is against the principles of Judaism. And therefore, you're playing with the essence of the cord that holds us together with Hashem. Therefore, that brought to the opposite of a terrible decree to God forbid, Rahman al-Islam, may heaven protect us of a decree to wipe us all out. Because the entire existence of us is all about the connection that we have with Hashem. So if there's no connection, there's a lack of connection, so then that's it. You could be totally gone. And this is why Mordechai was so concerned. It was bothering him tremendously. He was very worried. To the point that he put upon himself sackcloth and ashes and he went out into the streets. And he was screaming with great bitterness. Why? Because Mordechai Yada Eskolashanasa. He knew everything that was going on. He knew the reason that led to this decree that Haman could even have such a decree. He knew what led to it because Jews were worshipping these images. And he was worried maybe the bowing to these images is sort of an idol worshipping, God forbid. The Rebbe once had, by the way, another Fabrengian where he once delved into what the sin was, what the problem was of the Jews. The Gemara says that they were Nehenu Misudase Shalaisa Russia. The Jews were all invited to the meal. And the king said, I'll give everybody Kirtzain Ishvish. You could pick whatever you want. You want kosher food? I'll give you kosher food. Whatever you want. Kosher wine, kosher wine. So what was so bad to participate in this, in this big wedding hall or whatever celebration hall? With the king, you were able to have a Jewish dancing. Uh, you could even have probably a, a separate seating section. You could have whatever you want, you were able to request. 
And the Talmud says the problem is that Jews there were enjoying it. They were enjoying being with the wicked men. And that was the problem. Same similar idea here. He's saying is the problem that Mordechai was worried about that we were bowing to images. And he was worried, is this also really deep in their hearts a sort of idol worshipping or just a surface thing? How deep is this going here? Because even if you bow only like on the surface and deep inside you're not doing this, your heart's not into it, it could still affect your essence. Because if your essence would be 100% pure, you wouldn't be able to even have an external bad behavior. In other words, your deep faith in the inside should have been stronger, and then on the outside you would have also been stronger. And this is what Mordechai was worried about. How deep is the problem amongst the Jews? Is it really, really, is it hitting your internal soul or is it just an outside thing? See, the way you look at it is like this. If your inside would be on fire and flame for Hashem, you would never let it express itself wrongly on the outside. By the way, this reminds me of an amazing story. In 1940, when the Nazis were invading France, the Rebbe and the Rebetzin were living in Paris. By 1941, all the Jews had to go south because the Nazis were coming into Paris and they moved down to Nice. Now, they were living there for a period of time. It was considered to be quite safe there. From over there, the Rebbe ended up getting a visa through Portugal and he ended up coming to America. But while he was, and through a, a, somebody gave up a, their visa for him, oh, a story at a different time. But there was, there was a period where the Germans were coming to the hotels, where they knew everybody ran there, and they were going through and taking records, who's the Jew? They wanted to have no who's who. So they came once and they knocked on the, the Rebbe's, uh, I don't know who, I think it was in the hotel room or an apartment, but I think it was the hotel room. And the Rebbetzin was there, the Rebbe wasn't home at the time. And she opened the door and they said, well, we want to know, what's your name? Okay, that's your name, thank you, you know. And what's your religion? Hard for us to even imagine what you would go through to answer this. And the Rebetzin, at the spirit of moment, she figured a beautiful diplomatic answer. She said, I'm Orthodox. Right? Brilliant answer. Right? You know, you could be uh, Greek Orthodox, right? You could be Russian Orthodox. It's, all, you know, you could, it's, it's open for interpretation. Of course, you could be Jewish Orthodox. You know? So she said, Orthodox. That night the Rebbe came home and she told him what happened. And the Rebbe said that that's not enough. The next morning he went down to the office to the, to the questioning stations where they had everybody's name and all that stuff and he asked them to find out, pull out his name and his wife's name and he said, please mark in by it says Orthodox Right in there, Orthodox Jewish. Now imagine doing that. You're putting your life on a complete risk to publicize yourself that you're Jewish. But I think this is the point of what he's saying here. If internally 
you feel very, very confident of who you are, you got nothing to worry about on the outside. And this was Mordechai's concern at the time with the Jewish people there. Since they were worshipping images, he was concerned. Is this a real Avodazara or not? Is this idol worship? as he brings down from the Tanya chapter 19, he says that a Jew is willing to give up their life not to do anything against the point of your faith with one God. For example, to bow to idols, even if you don't believe in it. A Jew will not want to do that. Even for faith, they won't want to do it just you know, to get the troublemakers away from you. A Jew doesn't do that. They're willing to give up their life. Why? Because you're willing to do everything not to give up that bond you have with Hashem. It's something that stays internal in you, in your nature, that you're not willing to contaminate yourself to some kind of idol worship, even if it's just for one minute, even if it's for fake, for the outside people and so on. You're not willing to contaminate yourself, your outside external parts of you. Therefore, Mordechai knew that the way to nullify the decree is through awakening the Jews, the the Jewishness, the spark of Yiddishkeit, the peace, the, the core of the Yiddishkeit that's in a person, to bring it out in the outside. And he knew that's my job, to my 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 profession, but my my occupation of Am Mordechai. Not just him as an individual. Of the entire people should be not to kneel, not to bow, nothing. And that should permeate through the external parts of you too. In your thoughts, in your speech, in your action to the point that you should be willing to go on a self-sacrifice for the God's name to sanctify Hashem's name literally. And while Mordechai heard these kids coming out of cheder, coming out of school with those verses that stresses the faith and the trust in Hashem, he knew that now I know the Jews are going to stand through this test. He saw it right away. He saw that they're ready to go on a self-sacrifice because they have this engraved into them. They knew these verses by heart. They were living it. Therefore, he smiled and he laughed with a great simcha because there's nothing to be afraid of any bad ideas that may be conspired from these terrible people. And when he heard this good news, after that, he took his clothes, he ripped it, he did kriya, he ripped the garments, he went out into the streets with sackcloth, sacks and, and ashes over him, and he was screaming with bitterness in every single city in Persia he did this. And it was a terrible stage of mourning for all Jews. People were fasting and crying but why did he do this? Not because it was a lack of faith what he just heard from the kids. He did this all to awaken. Get everybody to cry and mourn so that this will cause them to bring out the true Yiddishkeit that they have inside. They should bring it out in a revealed way that they're ready to stand up for anything. And I think it's obvious today you, we all know people that were trying to suppress their relationship with God for a long time. And in the last few months, we all know many people that it came out into the outside. Sometimes it takes a situation like what Mordechai had to wear sackcloth and mourn because that, that could bring out 
the true essence of the Jew even into the outside. So that's why he put on these sackcloths. Not because he didn't believe what the kid said. He said clearly, I'm very joyful of the great news that I heard from them. But I need to do something to awaken in them that because they slipped and they were bowing to images. So he had to bring out their true essence to know that that was only an external thing of them. But internally, they're connected and bonded with Hashem like nothing. Now we're going to understand the amazingness of these three verses. And if you have a sitter next to you, you can look inside to the verses after Elenu. If you have the blue sitter, page 82, you can digest these three verses. And now we're going to understand the difference of all these three verses. When the first verse says, Altira mipachad pisaim. Do not fear sudden terror, sudden fright. Or and destruction, holocaust from the wicked when they come. This is talking about when it's a real story. When true fear, sudden terror really arrives and it's a revealed tragic thing. What are we what are we instructed to do? Altira. Don't be afraid. No logic is given here in the first verse. The first verse says, without even using your logic, fact, Altira, do not be afraid of this. Aye, it's terrible. We're not saying it's not. It doesn't say it's not terrible. It just says, Altira, do not be afraid. That's verse 1. The second verse says, you could conspire... Any kind of conspiracy, but it will not happen. It will be foiled. Dabru Davar, you could speak a plan that you want. You could speak a piece, but Layakum, it will not happen. That means now we're talking about not an actual tragedy. We're only talking about something is conspired. There's talk from the enemies. There's only talk. And we, and we say that it's going to be nullified. But now we're giving even a reason for this. He imanu kel. You know why you don't have anything to worry about? And you know why their plans will be foiled? Because God is with us. So now in the second verse, when it's not even a real thing, we say a, reason, a logical reason. Why should I not be afraid? Because Ki Manuel Hashem is with us. And then we say the third verse. Vadzikna Anihu. To your old age, God says, Anihu, I am with you. Vadseva into your very old age. Ani Espel, I sustain you. I made you, I will carry you. I sustain you and I'll deliver you. Here we're talking about. Not at all anything bad. Not in a revealed way and not in a concealed way, not even in planning against you. We're talking about old age or very old age, which is only something that comes about with the change of nature. When a person gets old. And the nature, the changing of nature is something that's a creation from God who created all of this. And we say that not just Anihu that Hashem says, I'm with you and I will sustain you, but even you should know that I made you and I will carry you. Confidence. 
Now, the difference of these three verses shows on three different levels of faith and trust in God. And it expresses itself in your self-sacrifice from a Jew to God. In the first verse, you say, do not fear sudden terror or the destruction from the enemies that come. That's because you have so much faith and trust in God that even though in, in nature, look what's going on around you, terrible stuff have befallen on the Jew. And normally, naturally, should be that with the sudden tragic thing that happened, it should bring a terror on you. But if you're a believer in God, there's nothing to fear. And I don't need to have any proof of this. My natural instinct is that I recognize that everything comes from Hashem and it's for good. As the famous adjunct of the Talmud, Kol Ma'da'avid Rahmana L'tavavid. Whatever Hashem does is for the good. That comes from that famous story, Rabbi Akiva, when he was traveling to a city and he had with him his, uh, his rooster to wake him in the morning and he had his candle to learn by night and he had his rooster and he had his donkey to take him around. And he came to the city gates when it was getting dark and they wouldn't let him in. There was, the gates to the city were closed. He had to sleep outside in the forest. And the Talmud tells us the whole story that the, in the middle of the night a lion came and ate his um, donkey. And then another animal came and ate his rooster. And the wind came and kept him putting out his candle. And he kept on saying the same thing. Whatever Hashem does is for the good. In the morning, he went back to the gates of the city and he saw the mess there. Gangsters came to the city and they looted the entire city. So he was speared from that. So if he would have had his rooster making noise, they would have found him. If he would have had his candle on, they would have found him, right? Those days, that's what a person traveled with. You traveled with your rooster and your candle to wake you up in the morning to say, Modahani, to learn by night, right? Today, people travel with their toothbrush and their credit card, yeah? Or your checkbook. That's the way you, you move around, yeah? Today, maybe not uh, checkbooks, but credit cards. and Yeah, you got your basic stuff, yeah? Your phone. All your credit cards, all in there, yeah? So the first level is that you take the attitude, you live with this internal faith and trust that everything Hashem does is for good. I don't need any reason to justify anything. Terrible, sudden, tragic came. Altira. And every day, by the way, when you leave shul, when you leave your davenings, these are the verses you take with you at the end. Even after Aleinu, you take these verses with you. So you know, whatever the day comes, Altira. But even a stronger level of faith comes the second verse. We're now going to go up a ladder. A stronger level of faith is that even if there are conspiracies that are being planned, Vesufar, Utsuetza, but it's Vesufar, Hashem says, I will foil them. And Dabru Davar, they're going to plot things, they're going to talk about doing certain things, they're going to speak of certain plots. Vilayakum, it will never happen. Now, this is not just because I'm not having fear. Here, it's confidence that Hashem will vesufar. He will foil the whole thing. You know this for certainty. And now I reach into a level that even when I mix my intellect into this, you would think you mix your intellect into this, whatever you're doing. So maybe your intellect's going to say, nah, 
maybe now I should be worried. Here it teaches you even an intellectual level. Even intellect, which is even a higher level, with your intellect you could answer it and say, Ki imanu keil, because Hashem is with us, therefore don't worry, Hashem will foil all their plans. And now we go to even a higher level, the third verse. Higher than this is, the, he uses a Yiddish word, the uplag. The uplag is, it's like, take, take it, you take it like a given. It's an accepted concept to you. That va'adzikna anihu. Even when you get old, to your old age, Hashem says, anihu, I'm with you. Va'adzeva into your hoary years, ani espel, I will sustain you. Meaning, you say to yourself that even things that have to happen in the laws of nature, this is the way Hashem made the world. Hashem made it, his, He's the one who created this whole natural world. But you should know something. Nature does not dictate the life of a Jew. A Jew lives higher than the laws of nature. We could also, by the way, take this to the Israel today. If it was the laws of nature, it would not make sense for Israel to exist. Millions of people, millions and millions of people all around us. But why are you there? Because it doesn't because nature doesn't dictate the life of a Jew. And therefore, a Jew is not, a, not affected from it. It doesn't bother you. So for this, I need to have even more strength and more logic. So we say it's not just because ki manukel, because Hashem is with us. But, but you say more. The end of the verse, Hashem says. Remember this, Hashem says. Ani asisi, I made you. And if I made you, just so you should know, I could sustain you. No problem. And I could deliver you out of anything. So remember that. Ani Asisi, I made you and I could sustain you and I'll deliver you. By the way, there's a fascinating letter from the Rebbe to a person that was very down. It's one of the most amazing letters that the Rebbe wrote that you could find so much inspiration. And the Rebbe says to this person in this letter, it's not brought down here in the Sicha, but it's relevant to this point. And the Rebbe quotes this verse. That, he, that he's explaining now in the Sicha. This person says to the Rebbe that they're down, I don't think I can make it. My, 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 it complains about a bunch of stuff. The Rebbe says, Hashem made 7 billion people in this world. And he's able to figure out a world that everybody somehow could sur- is surviving, but you have to be the one to worry. If Hashem could take care of everybody, take care of you too. So stop worrying and stop thinking that you have to give Hashem the plan and how to take care of it. He clearly knows what he's doing. And he tells him, think about these words. Ani Sisi. Hashem says, I made you. Vani Espel. And I sustain you. And Ve'amalet. And I will deliver you. It's the most beautiful verse that teaches us the essence of this. I was thinking, how could we put it in our own words, these three levels? These three levels of comfort. The first verse is, Altira, don't be scared. I sudden terror, terror that befalls us. You go, Meshuggah. No, Altira, I'm not going to be worried. The next one's telling you, even when you get older and more knowledgeable, you say, okay, Hashem is with me. You use words. That, that's why I'm not going to be scared. And the next one tells you that you should know, even if nature dictates something, 
it's a natural disaster or something that happened. This is the way it goes in nature. And you're an older person. You get old because of nature. Don't worry about it. You're a Jew and nature doesn't dictate. So each one is a higher level. I was thinking that maybe perhaps we could use an example. The first one puts you into a stage of relaxation. Just relax. Hashem says, Altira, don't be afraid. Okay, so I'll sit back, relax. Take out a Torah book, just read. You don't have to think, worry, anything. Another level is that I'm not just going to relax at home. I'm actually going to go in my backyard. I'm going to go outdoors and relax. I'll take a nice stroll. It's like a higher level of that confidence. You could do it anywhere. And I think the third level is that you're also going to be joyful about it because you know that nothing that's out there in the world is relevant in how it's going to dictate you. You are connected to Hashem, which is higher than the, na- than the laws of nature. Now, the Rebbe takes these three verses so amazingly, and he shows you how each one of these three verses was something of the education that these three kids got from going to school. By the first kid, right in the beginning of his education, Mordechai says, tell me your verse. That's all he has. That's what this kid has. He doesn't know much. He just started cheder. You could be a little kid or growing up a little kid, right? You could be, you're just starting. Just starting your path. You have one line of Torah that you know. More than that, the kid doesn't know. He's not even yet at a level that you could rationalize with explanation, intellectual. It's not an intellectual thing. The first thing that has to be notified and noticed and lived with is the rule, do not be afraid. A Jew is not supposed to be afraid. Al tira. That's number one. Now when the child gets a little bit older and he starts to learn, now like you see the way the second kid said, I learned many verses, but I have with this verse, I stand with this verse. He already learned many stuff. He's already able to comprehend, comprehend ideas. So now you have to teach him even a deeper given that he should live with a certain given. Another level in faith and trust in Hashem. With, this is a level of certainty. That's the level to live. Not just knowing I don't have to have to have faith, but it's a certainty level, that kind of level of comfort. Utsuetza, they're going to conspire plans? No problem. Vesufar, Hashem will foil them. They're going to talk about plots? Ain't going to happen. And now the kid, you're able to talk. This is already an older kid. You're able to talk intellectually. Have an intellectual conversation. So for this, you could say, Hashem is with us. That's why. Then you have the third category of a child, which is even more adult-like. He's more growing up. His intellect is even greater. For this person, you have to teach him that a Jew does not get affected even from the laws of nature around him that Hashem himself made. With the whole explanation that the verse says, I made you and I take care of it. The same, the same one who made those laws of nature made you too. So you can't say to yourself, oh, the laws of nature is like this. Hashem made it. Yeah, Hashem made the nature. Hashem made you also. <laughs> Why is that going to rule stronger over you? Maybe you're stronger there. Hashem made you. He's going to carry you, he says. Hashem says clearly in the verse. I'm going to take you, sustain you, and deliver you. 
Now, while Mordechai heard these verses from these kids, where did he hear them? We asked the question in the beginning. Why did the Medrash have to tell us that this whole conversation happened when the kids were leaving school? What was relevant to the story that they were leaving school? So Mordechai says, I heard these kids say these things when they were on the way home from school. Meaning, I now see that their principal values are not just when they're in school, that they have faith and they're ready to go and sacrifice. These are kind of kids that take what they learned home with them. You ever meet a Yiddish kid? Tells you, I learned in school, you should keep Shabbos. But now I'm not in school. <laughs> Was, is, right? We know that that's not good enough. Right? Imagine a kid says, I learned in school, I shouldn't steal. But now I'm not in school, I can do what I want. Right? Like you know the story with the guy, he was drinking L'chaim. They said, how could you drink? The doctor told you not to drink. He said, the doctor's not next to me now. So, right? So, Mordechai says, and this point is very important to the story. Where did he hear these kids say this? When they left school. Now Mordechai realized these are kids that they have these values of their faith in Hashem, not just when they're in school, even when they're out of school and they're traveling. That gave him so much joy. He said, there's a future here. There's something here that I could work with. Okay, it's not at a revealed level by everybody. No problem. I'm going to work on that now. And that's the detailed, precise idea here in what Mardachai said. Mardachai said, I got so much joy here from the Besurah's Tavis. He didn't even use the words that he got joy because he heard a prophecy. He used the words that he got good news. Why is this good news? Because these words itself made him feel so good. He knew that there was a future. By the way, on this expression of good news, I want to tell you a little family story. My grandfather, my father's father, his name was Shalom Deitch, a businessman in New York. And... He was sick. He had some heart problems in the around nineteen late nineteen sixties. And one time he wasn't feeling well. He decided, you know what? I'm going to book an appointment to go see the Rebbe, and I'm going to ask for a blessing for my health. He prepared himself like any chassid would do for that auspicious moment you're going to have with the Rebbe. And it came his time for his appointment. He walked into the Rebbe's room. Now in the Rebbe's room, from the door of the room to the Rebbe's desk is maybe 10 feet. As he was walking those steps from the door of the threshold to the Rebbe's desk, it dawned on him and he said to himself, how could I have the chutzpah to come in here and ask for a blessing for myself? But he had to ask for something. That's why he came in. So he stood in front of the Rebbe and he said, I came here to ask for a bracha that the Rebbe should be healthy. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, I came to get a bracha, the Rebbe should be healthy. And the Rebbe looked at him and said, if you will give me good tidings, good news, I will be healthy. Good news is a key factor in picking up a person's Mood. Mordechai says here, I got good news. When I see that these kids, not when I went into their classroom and I asked them this, they were coming out of school. And then they said to me that they have this faith, these three different verses about their connection with Hashem. Ah, this was such good comforting news for him. 
And that's why he was so happy. He knew that they're ready to go on a sacrifice for Judaism. And this is also why right away Haman got so mad. And Haman said, it's not just in you that I'm going to start with. I'm going to start with these kids. These kids, he saw, they are the future. And they are the reason why nobody wants to bow down to him. Now, based on all of this, this clarifies one more interesting idea. It's a very famous idea, but the Rebbe brings it down here in this Sicha. And that is the following. In the end of the Megillah, it says, in chapter 9, verse 27, imagine that. The whole Megillah is 10 chapters. And the 10th chapter is, I think, 3 verses. So it's pretty much at the end of the whole thing. It says, after the the victory and everything, it says, it says, Kaimu the Kiblu HaYehudim. The Jews accepted upon themselves the Torah. And the sages say, what do you mean you accepted upon yourself the Torah? About 1300 years ago, you accepted the Torah by Mount Sinai. What do you mean now by Purim? (laughs) What happened here? You always had the Torah. What do you mean now you accepted the Torah by Purim story? So the Talmud says, you know why it says this? Because when we got the Torah by Mount Sinai, we didn't really accept it on our own goodwill. We accepted it because we were afraid. It says that it came to the giving of the Torah and nobody wanted the Torah. So Hashem took a mountain okay, and He lifted it up on top of all of us. He took a massive mountain. Hashem could do it, yeah? Picked up this big mountain it says it was like, like a barrel, so the inside of it was empty underneath. And he put it right on top of us, and he says, Hey, are you going to accept the Torah good? If not, it's going to fall on top of you. You're all going to be buried right here under this mountain. Man, when we heard that, we said, All right, all right, all right, all right. We're in, we're in, we're in. No questions. Give us the Torah. Now, you ask yourself a question. Was that so great that we, took, we accepted the Torah? Very nice. We said, yes, dear, we'll do it. But you're missing the detail between the lines. We said, yeah, Nasa and Ishmael, we'll do whatever it says. But the, there was a, we were threatened by our lives. Of course we said, yes, we'll do it. You know, you say, yes, dear, I'll marry you. But, you know, with a gun over your head, you know. So by the Purim story, it says, there was a different story. We accepted the Torah with our own will. We could have bow to Haman and live the Goyesha life and that's it, live the Haman, a Hamanite life. What's the problem with that if you wanted to give it up? But no, we said no, we're not ready to do that. We're sticking with Mordechai, we're sticking with God. Now, what happened well, even when we said by the giving of the Torah by Mount Sinai, we said, God, we're ready to accept the Torah. And Hashem said, before he gave him, just say, oh yeah, sure, here you go. He said, who's your guarantors that you're going to keep this? And we know the story. The Jews said, our prophets will, will, will follow it. And God said, that's not a good enough guarantor. And they said, the elders, the parents, Hashem said, not good enough. Till the Jews said, our children will be the guarantors to keep the Torah's laws. And Hashem said, that's a good, that's a good guarantor. So the Rebbe says, this whole story 
that happened in Purim is really the same story here. What awakened Mordechai that there's a future to our people? These kids, the kids are the ones that said, like those kids at Mount Sinai, they said, don't be afraid of sudden terror, right? Any, we, they believed strongly in the verse that you're with us and therefore any plans that they make will be foiled. And even if you're older, don't worry because Hashem says, I knew I'm with you and I need Esa and I'm going to carry you and everything. That faith that the kids reinstituted is the same idea with the kids reinstituted by the foot of Sinai. So it's all about the kids to the point that Mordechai realized that it's all about the kids. The Talmud tells us that Mordechai gathered together 22,000 children to come out into the streets and learn Torah with him. To go on a self-sacrifice to devote ourselves only to God. And just like this happened the time of Purim, and it happened also before, the difference is, by the giving of the Torah, it was potential strength that we had. It was something that came from above. It was like something that your soul awakened you. But in the story of Purim, it came from within, not from above. It came from our bodies were ready to self-sacrifice. It wasn't because a mountain was going to fall on top of us. So, so too, we have this thing of the guarantee from the children to the point that who awakens parents these days? It's the children that awaken the parents to come back. And therefore, we were able to accept it with full, full you know, confidence in the full way. And with this... We have here the amazing lesson to all generations, especially the generations now that we are now in the footsteps of the days of Mashiach. We're like at the heel with Mashiach. When it says that we are after the days of being servants to King Ahasuerus. When you want to know the situation and the future situation of Jews, of the Jewish people, how do you know what's the future of the Jews? You know how you know? Go and speak to the kids. That's how you're going to know. See what the kids, especially the kids, that came home from their Jewish school and speak to those kids. Ask them, what do they think? Don't walk around today and ask the, uh, the, uh, the old person. Ask the kids. That's what Mordechai did. And in more clearer words, what this means is that the education has to be from the most youngest age of children before they're even capable to understand anything. We have to educate them that their commitment, their way of automatic thought is that they should not be afraid of anything. Like we know the story of the father of the Baal Shem Tov. When the Baal Shem Tov was only five years old, his mother died when he was, I think, one or two years old. But then when his father was sick on his deathbed when he was five years old, and he was standing next to his father's bed. And his father said to him, his father's name was Rabbi Eliezer. And he said to him, he said, Yisrael, you should have fear of nobody in this world except for God alone. That's the first thing that we must instill in children. Not to be afraid of anybody. And when he gets older and the child's able to start understanding things, you teach them a second thing. And you teach them they can conspire a plan against you, but it will be foiled. Why? Because God is with us. And then you teach them the third verse, the more detailed one, that Hashem says, I made you, I carry you, and so on. And in order that it should be a given, a given to a child, 
properly, that it should become his verse. It's not enough just to learn that, learn with them verses the way they are in the biblical Torah, in the Chumash itself, in the Tanakh. You have to teach them the Torah and points, the way they're explained in the oral Torah, and specifically more in the works of Chassid, Torah of Hasidus. And while a Jewish kid takes with him and lives with him these verses, and he even takes it with him out of school, and he brings it with him into his house, and just like it was in those days, so will it be also in our days that this will be a for certain thing to keep the Yiddish guide alive, Torah, and the Jews will stay around. And there's nothing to be afraid of from anything in the world. As the verse says, It comes from the mouths of the babes that are this, this suckling to the foundation of the, that you have established their strengths there. And they will destroy the enemies, they'll silence the, the avenger. And it will be fulfilled the verse that says that the hearts of the fathers will return, meaning the pa- hearts of the parents will return on the children, on the children, meaning through the children. When it will be the time when I will send, Hashem says, when I will send you Elijah the prophet, and he will tell to the children in a way of love and desire, go and talk to your fathers and take them on the right path. And it will be the big day of Hashem, the great and awesome, mighty day, when we bring close together the Geula to another Geula, the redemption of Purim to the redemption with Pesach, and will merit to the great day of redemption, the true and complete one with the coming of Mashiach, and it should be speedily now in our times.